Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJoria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, it's privateer funny car racer Mike McIntyre and national dragsters Kevin McKenna. Eric Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. A family funny car operation and an embedded reporter. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 10,000s at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Loans. We are here on a race week, making a race week show. It's going to be fantastic. Mike McIntyre Jr. coming on. We're going to talk about him and his family's legacy in drag racing. Going to talk about the McAttack funny car and how well that car has been running of late. And talk about being an Ohio drag racer and our biggest Ohio event coming this week with the Summit Racing Equipment Nationals at Summit Racing Equipment Motorsports Park in Norwalk. We also have National Dragster's Kevin McKenna coming on. Kevin carrying the title of Senior Editor at National Dragster. He has been there a long time. He is highly respected, and he has some great insight into the world of not only pro-stock motorcycle racing, but loads of great insight into the world of the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series. And our conversation with him will kind of move around those two spheres if you will we'll talk some pro stock bike and we'll talk some sportsman drag racing as well let's talk a little bit about this race weekend coming up though it is shaping up to be massive in more ways than one obviously norwalk uh, is one of the largest facilities we go to seating capacity and camping size and it's also one of the biggest races we have all year regarding car count in many ways it's um it's just basically kind of a smaller version of the u.s nationals we run an incredible gamut of categories at this event which is a, gr- a big swing. We go from Epic, New Hampshire, which is a, uh, a modest racetrack that has not the room to be able to host as many categories as we have at Norwalk. So we're fairly limited in what we have up there. And there's a rotation of categories year over year at that event. And then we go to Norwalk and we basically have everything uh, from uh, the alcohol categories. Of course, we have Pro Modified there, Pro Stock Motorcycle and all the professional stuff, as well as the vast majority of our sportsman drag racing classes as well. It has resulted in some long uh, weekends at this race. It is often referred to as the 24 Hours of Norwalk. I think it was Tim Wilkerson that um, that coined that phrase several years ago when we were running very, very late on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Action starts at this race on Thursday. It is our first uh, four-day race of the 2021 season, and it is a four-day race because of the volume of sportsman drag cars we have as well as the volume of all the cars that we have. Uh, we have great full fields, overflow fields in every professional category, so we'll be talking about bump spots and pro stock and pro stock motorcycle, top fuel, funny car, as well as pro modified. Alcohol counts are very good as well. I know top alcohol dragsters and overflow field. I believe funny car got there. If they didn't, they had 15, which is uh, in recent history a 15-car top alcohol funny car turnout is strong. And uh, it's tough to say that about the class, but that has been the case over the last several seasons. It's been tough to get, you know, 16 of those guys and girls at the same racetrack at the same time. But uh, hopefully that's a trend that continues. And, you know, it is uh, speaking of trends, this is kind of a trend that we have seen over the last several seasons of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing, where when the races shift to the center mass of the country, we see more cars. It's just the nature of the business between the amount of teams that are based in Indiana, of course. And then the amount of teams we have in the um, Ohio, Illinois, um, center of the country area, we see this big influx. I think it was just a couple of years ago, 2019 maybe, maybe our last race at Chicago, we had like, I think it was 22 top fuel cars show up, which was just enormous, U.S. national style and size of uh, of counts there. So great to see the, the fields that we're going to watch qualify on Friday and Saturday at Norwalk. Make no mistake about it, it is a three-qualifying session event. There will be one qualifying session on Friday evening and then two qualifying sessions on Saturday. Make sure, if you've not already, get your tickets. I know that there are limited quantities left. I saw some people posting online that they were uh, trying to get into a section of the uh, the stadium-style uh, seating, drag strip seating that we have at Norwalk, and they could not get in that section at all because it had been sold out. So they were kind of down to their second or third option in terms of where they were hoping to be sitting. These are obviously the kinds of problems that, uh, and I wouldn't even call them a problem, these are kind of the kinds of scenarios that uh, are a good thing for drag racing, for motorsports, and really for 
any sort of stick and ball sport in general because of the fact that uh, we're allowed to have these crowds back. And uh, we're going to be having a full capacity uh, allowed crowd at Sonoma, California, which was just announced in Pomona as well will be uh, zero crowd restriction at both of those events. And really, at this point, we have nothing on the schedule anymore that is carrying any sort of crowd restriction, which is great news. Um, I think the Epping crowd that, that showed up and really filled that place up last weekend is great. I think we're going to see just a uh, a voluminous crowd here at Norwalk this coming weekend, and it's going to be fantastic. Um, anytime that we're able to go to this racetrack, the Bader family obviously does an incredible job. We all know the story. Uh, we all know the accolades that this track kind of consistently and constantly receives. And the fact that they have invested so much of, uh, of their lives into this business, including a year last year where they never opened the gate. That was uh, likely one of the most difficult decisions Bill Bader ever had to make in his life. He made it, and the track is, uh, the track is booming again in 2021 and hopefully will be for decades to come. There has been news released, uh, big news, I guess, uh, in several different fronts of NHRA drag racing. Let's talk about Josh Hart first this week. Hart announcing that he had signed new sponsors, including RNL Carriers, which is a massive trucking company, nationally, uh, nationally operating trucking company that happens to have a depot directly across the street from the drag strip in Norwalk. Uh, Josh has announced that he signed RL Carriers. He has also signed BuySteelBuildingsDirect.com, and he is apparently going to be announcing some other sponsors. And the bottom line of all this is that he is running the vast, vast majority, if not the entirety, of the remaining 2021 schedule. And what does that mean? Well, it means that we're going to find at least one high-level, very good top fuel car outside of the top 10 by the time we get to the end of the U.S. Nationals. Now, Josh Hart is currently in eighth position, despite the fact he has not run two of the six races uh, this season, and actually maybe more than that. Let's see, he did not run Epping, he did not run Vegas, he did run Atlanta, Charlotte, and did we see him at Houston? I'll have to check back on my records at Houston. Either way, the guy has performed at an incredibly high level when he has been at the drag strip, and he is outrunning teams that have been at every single race, despite the fact he sat out a couple. Now that he's going to be in for the whole year, does that mean uh, Leah Pruitt's team definitely has to step up the program? Mike Salinas's program has to get better. Um, you know, as we move through the rest of this regular season, which Norwalk represents a little bit more than halfway through that regular season, if you can believe it, um, people are going to have to get serious very quick because we know that Josh Hart can drive that car. We know that Ron Douglas can tune it expertly, and we know that they can win races. They won you know, in storybook fashion, won the Gator Nationals this year and have gone rounds effectively everywhere else they have pulled through the gate. So uh, you heard it here first, but Josh Hart will be a factor chasing this Camping World World Championship in 2021, and he has become a major player now that he will be at the vast majority, if not all, of the remaining events throughout the 2021 season. Other big piece of news that was announced this week, and we're going to have him as a guest on the show next week, Travis Shoemake. Many of you have seen the story, read the release. It has gone around the internet like wildfire. Travis Shoemake is the son of the late Trip Shoemake, who is one of the most uh, kind of endearing nitro funny car drivers of the 1970s and 80s. Of course, drove those great Loper speed shop cars for Johnny Loper back in the day, drove for Billy Meyer, uh, drove independently, and has had, and did have, I should say, an incredible career in the sport. One of the true great names to come out of the southwestern United States during those uh, formative years or, or kind of explosive years in drag racing's growth. His son, Travis, is taking... Uh, major strides to follow in his footsteps. He grew up racing go-karts, racing anything he could get his hands on with his father. And when Tripp passed away, uh, Travis kind of stepped away from active motorsports participation for a while. He would come to NHRA drag races. He certainly has uh, bonds and friendships and life relationships in the sport. Uh, but he had not taken that extra step to compete. All of that changed after the Gator Nationals in 2020. Uh, I happened to have dinner with him with Amanda Busick, uh, Jamie Howe, and Todd Venny, and several other people. And uh, we talked a lot about his dad. We talked about what he wanted to do. And, and Travis told us straight up that he was going to chase this dream to go professional funny car racing. And 
to be very honest, a lot of people have said that over dinners. Uh, I've heard hundreds of people maybe tell me that over the course of my time in drag racing, and I'm going to say about one of them has ever actually taken it as far as Travis has in this short time window. So Travis has gone to Frank Holly School a couple of times now, Super Comp license holder, and he got his Nostalgia Funny Car license um, at Frank Holly School just about a week ago. And just about a day before this podcast came out, he sent out a press release um, announcing the fact that he is uh, going to make a run at this thing and he's going to figure out how to do it. And we're going to have him on the show next week to talk about why I feel as though he has a very realistic shot at pulling this off, perhaps more so than maybe anybody I've ever spoken to that has had this dream. Um, and also, he's going to be a barrier-breaking individual. He is coming in and, and he is you know, has told the world that he is aiming to be the first openly gay professional NHRA level drag racer. And this has uh, rankled some people. It's freaking people out. It certainly has done neither to me. I feel as though if you are listening to this and, and believe that we have had a sport that's existed for 55 years and not a, a single gay person has raced in it, I have a bridge to sell you somewhere. That's just not how the world works. So Travis is uh, is looking to kind of provide representation, be a be a leader in that field. And I can't wait to talk to him next week to kind of not only hear about what his aims are to do in the future, but what his uh, drive and passions have been to this point in his life and what has uh, kind of carried him to this moment, which is going to be um, a big one, making the next step for Travis is going to be the big move. But before we talk about making next steps for an up-and-coming funny car driver, we need to talk about a funny car driver and a family who will be competing this weekend at the SummitRacingEquipment.com NHRA Nationals at Summit Racing Equipment Motorsports Park. His name is Mike McIntyre Jr. He is the driver, and he is one of the guys that wrenches very hard on the Mac Attack Toyota Camry Nitro funny car, and he is right here as our first guest on the NHRA Insider. Mike, how you doing, man? Doing wonderful today. How are you? Doing great, man. We are coming to your home racetrack this weekend in uh, in Norwalk, Ohio. My understanding is you guys are hail from what about an hour away from there? Yeah, we're about an hour twenty. It's uh, definitely the uh, closest track on the tour for sure. So you know, one of the things I want to do as we're talking today is is really kind of fill people in on on who you are and who your family is and and how you've established yourself in drag racing. You had. I would say probably the best race of your career in Charlotte earlier this year. I mean, the car was on absolute rail, was super consistent. But before we go into that, let's talk about your Nostalgia Nitro funny car career because you guys crushed it over there. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we had a lot of fun with that car. Um, it was, uh, yeah, a lot of success, and it, that, that car was just, it, it was a blast. There was nothing, you know, it was, just, it was just a lot of fun. What years did you compete in the Nostalgia Nitro funny car ranks? Well, you know, we, we started in uh, 2010 with my father driving, and he drove all the way through uh, 2013. And then uh, I took over the wheel in 2014 and uh, been driving ever since. It's awesome. And, you know, I think one of the neatest things about, about your history and the Nostalgia Nitro funny car side of things is the fact that, you know, you guys and, and Jason Rupert and his team, they're from California, you're from Ohio, and you had some throwdown battles with him over the years. Man, did we ever, it, it, you know, those guys are great, you know, but they're, they're good friends of ours, you know, Jason and Brad and, and Al over there. And, it, you know, they, they, they were the best and they're still, you know, they're, they're still out there competing and doing real well. But, you know, it was, uh, when, when we started running against them, you know, Jason had been out there just, just killing it on the West coast. And, and when, uh, IHRA decided to go ahead and do this whole nostalgia deal, we, uh, you know, we saw his name, you know, signed up for it and we're, you know, Oh man, it's, it's, you know we're gonna be running Jason Rupert, you know, and uh, you know we ended up, you know, fourteen was my first year driving that car, and uh, you know it was just we just tried to consistent get me comfortable behind the wheel and all that, and uh, we ended up finishing second in the four points just by you know we we won we won one race that year, and uh, you know a bunch of first round losses and and maybe a semifinal, and we ended up finishing second just by being sort of consistent, and then twenty fifteen. Uh, we changed bodies over the winter, put a carbon fiber uh, 70 Camaro body on it, and it just it just woke the car up. You know, we did some things with the uh, cylinder heads and, you know, just, you know, trying to tweak, and it, it, we came out swinging that year. And it, it me and Jason had some epic battles, and, uh, you know, I, I really, really, really want to line up against him in a big show car. You know, it, it, I think it would be great. Oh, it would be great. Run. It would totally yeah. be great because it's a, it would it would make a great – you know, it, it kind of not that it closes the loop on the story, but it would be a great thing to see the two of you guys side by side on in the in the big show cars. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, we we we've been talking about it. You know, maybe meeting somewhere in the middle in Topeka or something, just so we can 
try to get to get you know run against each other again it'd be great you know and that's one of the things i want to talk to you about as well but before we move on from there you know just to, to double down on this at one point you guys had the et i think et and speed record in ihra nostalgia nitro funny car and i believe you also had it in the nhra heritage series at the same time yeah we did um we had the uh etm on our record in, in ihra uh a couple times we reset it and you know we'd go back and forth between us and jason we'd go out and set it he'd come back and set it it was just <laughs> a back and forth deal you know and then uh yeah we we only ran one nhra race with our uh nostalgia car and that was the march meet i believe in uh 16 or 17 and uh never been to bakersfield and that you know that place is just it's unbelievable it the history there and you know seeing 30 funny cars in the lanes like it, it was <laughs> it was awesome you know and uh we get out there and off the trailer we go like 554 with a one or something it's like what the heck you know it, it was, you know they're like you know we're, we're this you know, go home <laughs> you know so uh and then we ended up backing it up in q3 with a 57 and yeah i got the i or nhra et record we didn't have the mile an hour record just the et record for a little while and then i think uh you know bucky's car with bobby cottrell driving i think owns it now or something you know but um yeah it's a good time out there it was a good time and it and it really did set the stage for your your I guess we'll call it advancement um, onto the the kind of bigger stage of the the camping world drag racing series that we refer to it as now. So you know that's a huge move. So I want to talk to you about that. Like, what was the first conversation when you guys all looked at each other around a table, or I'm sure there was beers involved. Like, what happened when somebody <laughs> said, "Hey, maybe we should do this"? Well, so you know, it's always been a dream. You know, it, it, it was a dream of my father's to do it. Um, you know, he just we were never able to pull the trigger on doing anything yeah. like that. And then, uh, you know, the whole nostalgia car thing came along and, and, you know, for a long time, you know, we, I grew up at match racing, my father match raced with the mid America funny car circuit all over the country when, you know, all over the East coast when I yeah. was a kid and just alcohol, funny cars. And, and nitro was like a bad word around them guys, you know, cause, <laughs> cause it's like, you know, you, you always hear these horror stories of, you know, you, you, you put nitro in the tank, you throw a starter on it and it blows up and you're done racing, you know? <laughs> so it, it was just one of those things where, you know, nitro was kind of like, it was voodoo. So, you know, we took probably five or six years off racing and, uh, you know, IHRA came out with a deal to run, uh, uh like a match race, nostalgia funny car deal and uh we got a phone call one day hey would you be interested in building one of these things and it was like yeah why not let's try it and the rest is history so you know we, we were pretty successful with that car and uh with there, there wasn't really much left to do with that nostalgia yeah. funny car around here you know so exactly. we went to so um i think it was in like 2018 I went and uh, crewed with uh, Pat Dakin because okay. I know a lot of them guys on that team. You know, they were helping nostalgia cars, this and that. And I, I went and did the bottom end. And I'm watching how they're running this car. And, and you know, th those guys, they're, they're awesome over there. And uh, I get back. I'm like, Dad, I said, I think we can do this. You know, we're, <laughs> we, we were running, we were kind of, you know, we were running that nostalgia car hard. You know, I mean, we oh, were, of course. you know, pulling the clutch out every run, you know, rack out, you know, changing heads, doing And it's like, man, I think we can do this, you know. And so, Talk to him and, you know, talk to Bobby Lagana, of course, you know, because he's been, you know, he, he's helped immensely with everything. And uh, and uh, I, I talked him into it. <laughs> I, talk, I, talked, I talked the old man into it. And, uh, yeah, boy, oh, boy, what an undertaking it's been. It's, uh, you know, Dakin's guys made it look easy <laughs> because it certainly is not. I mean, it's working on the things hard driving the things hard and paying for the things hard yeah. <laughs> so but it's a trifecta um, of difficulty yeah <laughs> it, it, it really is it really is but um you know like you said charlotte we we had fun i mean it was it, it's amazing what a couple good runs in a row will do for the morale of everybody you know so um we're, we're having fun and we're cautiously optimistic for this weekend because these things will humble you in a hurry you oh, know sure. Absolutely. Um, you know so coming off of Coming off of Charlotte definitely helps. Everybody's, you know, having fun again and motivated and all that. But, you know, as soon as you think you might have it somewhat figured out, it, it just throws a, throws a curveball at you and you're smoking the tires eight runs in a row, you know. So, um, yeah, it it, was, it, it's you – know, To me, the most – I mean, we talked about it, but just to, to, to mention and give some clarification on the on the consistency in Charlotte, you qualified with a 4019. First round eliminations, you run 4018 in advance. Second round, you run 402 flat. You didn't get a, you didn't get past that one, but I you know you look at a three run grouping like that. Uh, 
that's exactly where you want to be in in some way, shape, or fashion in terms of the consistency. Now, I'm sure I'm sure if you could string together three ninety fives in a row, you'd be happier. But but in terms of in terms of where your program is and and kind of approaching things in a realistic fashion, do you take that information into this weekend and say, okay, let's let's set ourselves up to be a nice solid four zero car again? Yeah, 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 for sure. You know, I mean, Aaron, Aaron, and Aaron Brooks and Tony have the, the, you know, they had that thing going, and and that is the plan. We're just going to try to go out, you know, Q one and and just repeat what we did in Charlotte, and you know, and and go from build off of that for the weekend. In weather wise, that seems like a smart move because we're looking at, uh, you know, we're not looking at crazy cold temperatures. I think we're going to end up probably somewhere around that Charlotte condition. It's not going to be a million degrees, and in theory, the track shouldn't be, you know, 130. So that should be uh, kind of work to your favor as well. In terms of your crew and your team, is it a lot of the same people that worked on your nostalgia car? Or are there different people? Let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, my, my guys, they're uh, the core group of guys are all guys that, yeah, worked with me on the, the nostalgia car. They're all. You know, people I went to high school with, or you know, friends I've met along the way, and uh, everybody's full volunteer. They just they're there because they they want to be there, and we you know we just go to have fun. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, I mean I'd have to say everybody but one guy was with me on the nostalgia car for at least the last three four years. That's great. So yeah, yeah, it is awesome. I mean, we just we go there, and uh, you know, uh, a few of the guys are local here, so you know, we work on the car three days a week. And uh, go to the track and and just have a have a ball there. Have uh, what was the conversation between you and your dad? You know, after Charlotte, because I feel like that was the type of weekend that that really does start to kind of validate the effort that you're putting in. What was that conversation like? You know, it it it, it was just you know it was fun. You know, we we had fun and and look, we maybe we aren't over our head, <laughs> you right. know, kind of thing because we had a you know the first year you know it's first year deal with with this thing and then. Uh, you know, we got in Charlotte, the, the second Charlotte race the first year in, in 19, I think E1, we ran a, a 397 against Robert Height. And we're like, oh, man, you know, we're, we're getting somewhere. And then we go, you know, last year to Indy three times, and I don't think we made it down the track one time. Yeah. And and it's kind of like, oh, man, I, you, what do you do from there? So uh, we go to Charlotte or we go to Gainesville this year, and the same thing happened. And it's like, okay, we have to uh, – figure out what's going on here so you know talking with Aaron and Tony and everything and we stayed that Sunday in Gainesville and the guys all stayed and and we went over this thing you know front to front to tail and and just found a lot of little issues that you were able to get away with the nostalgia car that this thing will not let you get away with because it's, um, I'm you know, guessing it's just everything is so amplified, right? A, a, a small mistake in a, or a small uh, imperfection in a car that makes, let's say, 3,000 horsepower versus one that makes four times the power probably gets amplified, right? It, it is. It is. And, and I, you know, I didn't know. And I think the I think Tony and Aaron just assumed that, you know, I probably knew. And, you know, I we tell the guys to do it this way or that way, and, and it just wasn't right. So I think that was a big part of uh, – you know, the consistency in Charlotte is we actually got this thing able so they can turn the knobs on it. You know, we weren't, honestly, we weren't giving them a good enough car to be able to tune, you know, at the end of the day. That makes sense. The foundation needs to be there for the tuner to actually make the tweaks rather than wholesale changes. You got to be in the, in the ballpark, I guess. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah, it does. You know, and I mean, you got Aaron Brooks and Tony Short Shortall. I mean, they're as good as it gets. And, and, you know, for them to not be able to get the thing to go down, it's like, you know, what's going on? And we ended up, you know, we found so much little things that just added up where, you know, I actually called Tony and apologized to him about what a crappy race car we were giving him, <laughs> you know. But it's an interesting thing to, to you know, to get better at anything. There are times, especially when it's a major leap ahead, whether it's racing or whatever, there are times when you got to kind of humble yourself. And this seems like one of those times where, and I'm not saying you guys felt like you had all the answers because clearly that's not the way you operate. But when you, when you have to take a step back and go, okay, man, okay, we got to, we got to lock it down a little bit here. That's a humbling experience. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, you just got to tighten things up and, uh, and, and Charlotte really showed that. And I, I'm really, I'm, like I said, cautiously optimistic for Norwalk. I think we can go out and hopefully run a bunch of 4-0s again and, and maybe win another round, you know? For a guy who has not been driving a big show car for 10 years and who has not been doing it 24 times a year, you've showed yourself to be a very capable guy behind the wheel. It just This is a question we always like to talk about with people because the adjustment between the nostalgia car and, and this car is 
Jason Rupert gave a, a fantastic interview when he got his license, and he, he mentioned something that stuck with me where he said, it feels like this thing would be going 1,000 miles an hour if I just held the gas pedal down long enough. Oh, that, that's 100% true. It's it. <laughs> It, it doesn't uh, it doesn't make sense how fast these things are. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not only the speed, it's just how violent it is. I mean, even on, you know, that, that string of four O's we did in Charlotte, it just vibrates so hard, and it's just, it, it makes the nostalgia car feel like a Cadillac. I mean, like a streetcar almost. I mean, and, and you thought that thing was badass, and it, it's... And it, it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it is until you get in one of these, and you're like, wow, I, I know nothing. You know, like, and so it, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's amazing. I had no idea they'd be this hard to drive. And, uh, and I have so much respect for the guys that are out there, you know, John Forrest, Robert caps, and you know, all those guys that just are so good and do it all the time. I mean, it's, it, it's just crazy, you know, and I'd love to do that, but I mean, you just, I just have the most respect for anybody that's ever been in one of these things, you know? Yeah, and it's uh, it's a really neat thing, and and to have the level of success that your family had, you had behind the wheel of the of the nostalgia car, and Jason Rupert, and and to me, it, it almost carries more weight when a guy with with your background and your resume gets in one of these cars and and talks about that because you know if I was sitting in, of course, I think it was the fastest thing in the world because it is. I've never even been close, but you have driven <laughs> something really violent and fast, and this thing still really gets your attention. Oh man, it, it does. It, it it really is undescribable, and. And you would never think that it would, you know, I, I know I personally didn't think it was going to be that big of a jump and boy, oh boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so your family, my understanding is, uh, you guys have a machining business back in Ohio. We do. We have a CNC machine shop. Um, we, uh, we have, uh, uh we're lean and mean. We have five employees and, uh, we're basically just a job shop. You know, we run, you know, short, short run production of prototypes. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's what feeds the beast. It's a really cool thing, and and I think, and we've had this conversation on the show a few times with different people, but there is a, definitely a, a a movement over the last couple of years with a variety of people. Whether we're talking about Rupert, whether we're talking about you, we could make a list in Top Fuel and Funny Car and even Pro Stock of of teams that have been able to pick their spots, run a limited schedule, and run with good parts at a high level. Uh, you know, when you look around. You can see it. You can see other people to kind of take in this approach. I think it makes our sport more interesting. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. You, you need to, you know, there, there's no reason to have 20 of a mediocre part, you know. I mean, you, you might as well have a handful of, of great parts, without, you know, what the, the top-of-line stuff, and you'll definitely be more successful. I mean, you're just going to run into issues if you're running – you know, a bunch of mediocre stuff. There's no sense just throwing parts at the thing, you know? No, you race within your means. You create a schedule that you can you can justify with your crew and, and with what your kind of set budget is, and you go out there and you show up, and, and you can have a car that's going to put somebody on the trailer. Without a doubt, yeah. We, you know, the few races we want we, we go to, we, we want them to know that we're there. You know, that's the goal. I mean, you look at uh, uh, the top fuel team uh, right here in Ohio. What? Oh my God! What what is his name? Uh, Zizzo. You know, oh, yeah. he, he's a, he is a perfect example. I mean, he comes out a handful times a year, and that car. I mean, he can go low. Yeah. You know. Yep. And and that it, that's a good team to emulate right there. It is just they have top of the line stuff. They run a handful times, and and they make it known when they're there. It's it's great, and you have too. And I know one of the guys that's uh, that's always really impressed with with how you operate and your equipment and your your entire kind of set up is is my broadcast partner tony pedragon i know he's got a, he's got a soft spot in his heart for you guys and and i think it's uh it's the way you pr- the car is beautiful obviously the orange and black paint works great on the thing and i think he really Thank does you. admire the way that you uh you approach the racetrack you know t- tony and Cruz have always been been great to us um they were literally 2019 norwalk they were the first two people that came into the pit to, to you know say hey and you know it's awesome that you guys are out here and, and you know that means a lot you know and uh it, they, they've always they, they've always been really really good to us um very nice you know Cruz has helped us out with some parts and uh i think it goes back to the whole nostalgia thing you know those guys are hardcore racers yeah. too you know yeah. and uh i think that's what it, it you know boils down to is they they have they love that nostalgia racing and and you know we were we were in that game for for quite a while you know well, it's great, man. I can't wait to see you this weekend. Uh, certainly your home racetrack. Going to be a lot of family and friends there rooting you on. And it's nice when it's only about an hour away from home. Man, is it ever. I mean, I'm leaving Thursday morning, and I'm going to be there early. And, yeah, it's 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 way good, And which is, you know, which is good right now. I mean, we're 
business is just crazy right now. So, you know, missing as little time as possible, but this moment is, is actually pretty good. Last question before I send you, uh, send you back to the C&C farm. Outside of yeah. your dad, who was your biggest funny car hero growing up? Okay, so I, I actually have a few. <laughs> good. <laughs> All right, so uh, first one would be uh, Bob Flaw. Yeah, the Bullet Bob car. He ran. Uh, yeah, man. He, he, yeah, he ran the he ran the Mid America Funny Car Circuit, and him and his wife Kathy were like I, I don't know second parents or grandparents or aunt, aunts and uncles to me. You know, um, I was with them all the time when I was a kid. He had a semi truck that you know hauled the car way back. You know, early nineties, and I used to ride in that thing. Think I was the coolest dude ever. You know, and think he was the coolest dude ever wheeling that thing. And so he he's number one. Um, number two would be Peter Gallon. Oh man, poverty's uh, poverty stricken. Heck yeah, poverty stricken. Yeah, he, uh, you know, he is probably one of the probably the baddest ass racer I've ever met. Um, he is he can tune, he can drive, and it, he 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 taught me so much about the nostalgia car, tuning it, driving it, all everything that you know. He, I just he's one of the guys I look up to. And uh, the third one is Eddie Ace McCullough because. That the the old middle high life car, yeah. Um, that was the first fuel car, big show funny car I ever saw, and that was at Atco, probably late eighties, early nineties. And uh, I was just a little kid wandering around the pits, and this thing fired up, and it's loud. <laughs> also, I couldn't see, and I ended up running into a gooseneck hitch on a trailer, <laughs> and I come back to our pit covered in grease, crying, you know. And that was my first nitro experience right there. So. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic, man. That's oh, absolutely yeah. fantastic. That's killer. Mike, thank you so much. Congratulations to uh, to you and your family and your crew for the uh, success and, and the step forward you guys took in Charlotte, and I wish you all the best of luck this weekend. Hey, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we'll see you then. If you're not smiling after that conversation with Mike McIntyre Jr., there's not a lot I can do for you. Talk about a great story, hardworking family, and we'll see what their results are at their home race this weekend at Summit Racing Equipment Motorsports Park. It's going to be great. Now we really dive deep into the world of NHRA drag racing as we catch up with National Dragster Senior Editor Kevin McKenna. Going to be talking some pro-stock motorcycles, some Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series action. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Good afternoon. Uh, I'm doing really well. So you're coming to me from a remote clandestine location known as uh, Lucas Oil Raceway. <laughs> I, I am. I'm, I'm very blessed in that it's uh, about two miles from my home. So when there's a test session, uh, it's pretty easy to come out and uh, uh, kind of spy on what's happening a little bit. And so for reference, for anybody listening, uh, we're recording this on the Tuesday before the Summit Racing Equipment Nationals. So I guess the first question is going to be, who did you see and what did you see? Well, uh, if we're talking about... Uh, Pro Stock Motorcycles, there, there were quite a few here. Uh, the Vance and Hines team tested. Ryan Ayler was here. Uh, you had uh, Joey Gladstone and Corey Reed were here. Uh, Gianna Salinas and Jimmy Underdahl. Wow. So it's, it was a, uh, you know, a pretty good representation of the class. Anybody do anything notable, or is it pretty much uh, on par with what you'd expect? Well, we, uh, I didn't catch everything, but I did see uh, here this afternoon um, – both of uh, the Vance and Hines Buells run uh, 200 miles an hour, and uh, Joey Gladstone made a, made a pass on Angel's bike that was uh, very not not quite 200, but very competitive with uh, with what the uh, the Vance and Hines Buells were running. So uh, I, I think that kind of maybe alludes to a little bit of the parity that you have in the class right now. Yeah, I think so too. And and you know, talking about pro stock motorcycle, we're finally getting those bikes back. It's been a, about a five or six week absence for them. They last ran at Charlotte. We're going to pick them back up for several races as we move ahead with our Camping World season. But you know, to me, the big thing is when we look at the top ten right now, we have these three giant names that are under the cut line, which would be Jerry Savoy, Eddie, and Andrew. And I don't think they're going to stay there very long. No, I think uh, looking at where we are in the season, still fairly early. Um, you'd probably be hard pressed to come out of Norwalk uh, without having all three of them, uh, if not in the top 10, certainly much closer to it. Yeah, and I think when we look at people who may be displaced outside of the top 10, Kelly Klontz is one that comes to mind. And again, I'm not being mean or pointing anybody out, but she's currently clinging to the 10th spot and uh, really kind of needs to make some forward progress and get some round wins to maintain position. But then we start really getting into some names that would be surprising if they did not make the playoffs. And clearly there is not going to be enough seats for the number of quality motorcycles we're going to have actually chasing a top 10 playoff spot here. No, that's a fact because you you look at the gains that, for example – 
Corey Reed and Joey Gladstone have made. Yeah. And it would be hard to imagine either one of those bikes not being in the top 10. And after last year, as you pointed out, that displaces two other riders. And, you know, you've got essentially three Vance and Hines bikes that are very competitive, three Matt Smith racing bikes that are extremely competitive. So, so that, that fills up a good chunk of, of your top 10 right there. Um, yeah, I, I would think this year, as much as any other recently, uh, just making the top 10 w- would be a significant accomplishment. How legit How legit do you think Steve Johnson is? I, I tend to think that he's he's very legit in terms of what we saw his that win in Charlotte and what he can turn that into. I think, I think ideally for Steve, we wouldn't have had this long layoff from one race to the next because of how good he rode and how good that thing ran in Charlotte. But is this moment for Steve Johnson a turning point for him career-wise almost to get things really back in the direction that he was once kind of known to be in? You know, he's such an enigma because – you look at how long he's been out here, and, and you know, his, it's pretty well documented, uh, his struggles to find the resources to do this. Uh, you know, he's even recently in years, he's had to sit out races due to funding. Yeah. Yet, right now, today, uh, he's probably never been more competitive than he is right now. That, that bike, when it's running right, absolutely screams. It, it can run with any bike in the country. Um, and he's not using what you would think of as a traditional pass to get there. He's not using, you know, the Vance and Hines four-cylinder. He doesn't have uh, a Matt Smith-built V-twin in there. Um, you know, he's using the, the, the monster four-valve head. Um, you know, and again, a, a lot of I, I think the beauty of this is a, a lot of that is sort of virgin territory. So there are gains to be made, and 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 I think Steve is, is on the leading edge of it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I had him on the show after he won in Charlotte. We talked about a lot of stuff. But I said one of the things that is both his blessing and curse is, is his personality. And, and his personality is a blessing because he always does skew to the positive. He, he does not engage in a lot of negative uh, negativity, whether it's talking about how he's performing or decision-sanctioning bodies are making. That's not his route. But at the same time, it really overshadows the fact that he is as hardcore as it comes. And the guy is – you know, he was called a hobby racer years ago, and frankly, he isn't. I, and he, and the amount of time and dedication the guy spends working his fingers to the bone, he is certainly not a hobby racer in my book. No, he is the furthest thing ever from a hobby racer because this it, it absolutely consumes his life. He, he I, you know, I, I don't know, pretend to know what he does on a day-to-day basis, but I think he's pretty much twenty-four-seven. Uh, drag racing looking for ways to uh, to make his program better you know he doesn't have another core business that supports yeah. his racing uh, th- this is it and, and honestly you know he came out in what 1987 so pretty much most of his adult life I think this is all he's ever known yeah and it's uh, it is you know he he I occasionally get emails from him at the middle of the night when I'll read him the next morning when I get up and he's shot a video and he sent it showing kind of what's going on in the shop and everything so to your point the guy is absolutely 100 uh, percent you know swallowed up by this as he has been for so many years uh, let's change gears a little bit to Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series because as we all know at Norwalk we have effectively every class that drag racing has ever existed at this event including alcohol drags from Funny Car and it is one of the few races that we tend to see a lot of the national contenders in one place at the same time. Oh, for, for sure. Yeah, I haven't looked at the entry list lately, but I believe most of the hitters in both of the alcohol classes are there. Um, and, and you know, it's funny if, if specific to alcohol dragster, if you were the gambling type, I'm wondering what sort of odds you could get on a woman winning the alcohol dragster title. But it probably be, it would certainly be an overwhelming favor because I believe there, there's a half dozen women on the entry list and they are all competitive oh incredibly competitive competitive. yeah you got jackie frick in there you got uh julian natas obviously uh rachel meyer karen Stahl was one that i'd love to talk about because karen obviously is back uh in an a fuel car and you know she was away from that uh, realm for a couple of years but it really seems to me that that team it just they they need that one moment that every team needs which is when you kind of learn to win not to say she can't win because she certainly can because they have a very fast car but it is it is they have come close a couple times this year but that moment when you actually put the pieces together and when they turn the corner i think they can be in contention at the end of the season yeah i mean karen's gonna win a race this year it's just that simple that 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 car is too good uh even in a stacked field it has the capability to qualify number one which she's already done a couple times this year 
and uh, you know she's a more than capable driver. It's just uh, you know as you alluded to, you have to have all the gears turning in the same direction on the same day, and and once that team finds that, you will probably see them go on a bit of a run where uh, they rack up a, a, a few wins. Yeah, and and obviously we 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 brought up Rachel Meyer's name. Uh, she is looking to do exactly what her sister did uh, and did so successfully, which was to win championships. She certainly has proven herself to the ability, and and she is another one of the women that's fascinating to me because her hands are always covered in grease and clutch dust because she is not simply holding the steering wheel. She is an active member of servicing that car round around. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. And you know, you look at. Uh, I don't know if you could point out a more talented guy when it comes to tuning right now than, than Randy Meyer. He always seems to be uh, maybe a step ahead of the game yeah. uh, and, and has been for, for, for many years. Uh, you, you like what he's done with that team to have, you know, a program where you can put together two and even sometimes three cars that, that are extremely competitive and winning at any given time. Yeah, that's the astonishing part, and to have the help to do it, because I, I think that's one of the things that we we have a tough time relaying to people in the, in drag racing, where it's like, yeah, you can have two cars, and Randy can have a great tune-up, but you really need to have now two crews that are good enough to execute that tune-up. I always say it's like a kitchen. You have the chef that's coming up with the recipes and spend a lot of time shaking people's hands in the dining room. And then you have the sous chef and the people on the line that are actually executing what that chef wants. And Randy's been able to recruit and maintain incredibly high level of crew talent, which I think is really a big factor in their success. Sure. Because anymore, you know, a top alcohol dragster is probably akin to a top fuel car of 10 or 15 years ago, where you need four or five quality people to make it work. Yeah. Uh, especially once you get into a situation on Sunday where you might have to make three, potentially <laughs> right. four runs in, in a short period of time, you, you absolutely have to have quality people to make that happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some, some, some great people have, have worked with that, that organization and gone on to do different things. And it's, uh, it is a testament to, uh, the Meyer family success that they've had that consistency in the crew department. When we look at top alcohol, funny car, you know, this is a category that I mentioned that during the kind of open part of the show that, you know, it's the numbers don't lie that something, something needs to happen for top alcohol, funny car to, to get kind of its seat back under it again. Happy to say this weekend, we have a great field of them at Norwalk. And then we can kind of talk about again on this front national contenders. Bob McCosh is a guy I love to talk about because a couple years ago, we would not be talking about Bob McCosh being a, a top three guy in national points and somebody that in theory, if he keeps it up, could be flirting with a championship here. Yeah, I, I know he's only been to uh, maybe five or six races yep. this year, but has been very competitive at all of them. Um, you know, and, and to, to your point about car count, yeah, you'd certainly like it to be a little better. Uh, there, there's been some regional races where the showing hasn't been quite what you want, and I'm not really sure what the answer is to, to get those numbers back where they should be. The one thing you do have is the cars that are out there, by and large, are quality. You know, there, there's really, you know, I hate to use the, the derogatory term, but leakers, there, there just aren't many anymore. Um, you know, most of the people who do this are, are determined to do it at a high level. And it's almost that, and maybe that's the answer to the question of where did some of these cars go? I think some of these cars went, and I'm not saying this in a negative, it's almost as if, the level of competition passed people by to the point where they said, man, we can't keep up and we're killing ourselves trying. So, you know, I, and I don't necessarily see a lot of these things for sale all over the place, which leads me to believe that people haven't given up on them yet. So it's interesting, but again, we, we have kind of the battle Royale format here in, in uh, Norwalk where we're going to see the biggest names in the country again, from one of a handful of times. I mean, we'll see him here, the U.S. Nationals, and maybe some of the late races when people are trying to block or run their last attempts at earning points for a championship. And I guess, are you surprised that we have not we don't see the name Sean Bellamure yet on top of the points, or is that more a function of how you think they have their season laid out? I, I would assume, um, I know he didn't believe he's fourth in the points right now. Yeah. I would assume that that's more a factor of geography, just the events that they're planning to attend. Uh I believe they've only been to one regional event, you know, now granted that's only a small percentage of your score, but it's, it's not quite the same as someone like Doug Gordon, who has been pretty much everywhere this year that, that we've raced. Um, and the other thing, just to go back a second to the whole car count issue. Uh, I did talk to Johnny Lindbergh this weekend and he just finished a couple of brand new cars. I saw that. I believe, 
I believe he's built six or seven cars uh, since he opened his business only maybe a year and a half ago. And I believe he has orders for several more. And, you know, he's willing to build pretty much anything there. But his specialty seems to be funny cars. And right now, uh, the doors are open, the wheels are turning, and the product is coming out. So um, th- that certainly speaks to a demand for it. Yeah. And, and the reality is, the, in situations and when we talk about stuff like this, it never turns on a dime. We never go, all of a sudden, three months later, oh, there's 20 of these things at the racetrack. There is obviously trends, and hopefully the indication of his shop is a trend in the right direction. Sure. It, it, it's cyclical. You know, we, we've not, not to migrate into a whole different discussion, but, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, there was a little bit of negativity about the car count for the Top Fuel and Funny Car in Epping. Oh, sure. And, and, and you know, if you want to go back to the mid eighties when NHRA had 14 or 15 events and half of them were eight car fields. Yes. And, and, and even then you struggle to fill them at times. And, and people talk about that as if that is the good old days. Right. Well, <laughs> right. To, to, right. To, some, to some, to some degree it is, but it, the, the, there's an ebb and flow to this. And, and honestly, you know, uh, top fuel, you had Keith Merck was here this weekend getting his license in, in the car that, Tim Wilkerson is running, and, uh, you know, I, I think Mike Salinas reaffirmed his desire to add a second top fuel car to his team. He did. Uh, you know, probably my guess would be next year. I, I Don't quote me on that, but, you know, so, so there are uh, – there, there's a lot of interest. And when you live here in the Indianapolis area, near Brownsburg, the cottage industries of chassis builders, of machine shops, um, you know, th- they're geared up for, for growth. And that's a great thing. I mean, obviously, that's that's what we want. And that's and you know, and uh, again, not to go too far afield, but there, you and I know, and and there are people that are actively, literally bolting cars together now that have wanted to kind of keep it quiet until they get close to, to unveiling these things publicly. So there's uh, there is more on the way in terms of that. So um, I'm glad we touched on those topics, and and not to be uh, on a somber note, but um, a guy that you and I both know and and both really. Uh, for lack of a better term, love Kyle Seipel, uh, unfortunately passed away, been battling cancer for several years. And this guy was just not only an incredible racer. I mean, the guy was the guy was maybe arguably one of the best, if not the single best division seven racer of all time, 10 divisional championships, won the bracket finals, 12 times, 11 national events in 19 finals, one in five classes. Um, everybody's telling their Kyle stories today. And, and do you have, uh, do you have one or any that you, that you remember or just anything about the guy I'd like to say? You know, he was, as much as he was an incredible racer, he, he was an incredible human being. It, he was uh, all about giving, you know, Kyle, uh, I, I think Kyle reveled in the success of his friends more than his own, uh, but by far, I mean, it, it's not even debatable. You look at the number of people that he helped over the years and, yeah. uh, you know, you know, it's funny. I, I was actually, I'm working on a, a Kyle story for NHRA.com. And, and the one thing that kind of struck me is Alexis Tajoria's father, John Paul, you know, his motto is success on shared is failure. And to me that, that defines Kyle, you know, Kyle had an absolute gift. For, for tuning a race car, for predicting weather, for dialing it. And he was willing to share it with a- anyone who asked. And I'm sure there were times that came back to bite him, maybe to his detriment, but he didn't care. You know, his his gift was, you know, for, for helping others and, and giving. And, you know, that's what I will remember the most. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a horribly tragic thing. I think what's interesting to me is that what we're going to see, and I'm I'm not I'm, I'm not making a prediction here. It's just what I know in my heart. This weekend we're going to see and hear is so many racers talking about Kyle, um, and I'm talking professional level racers because this guy knew and had a relationship with everybody, and there's not a single person that had a sour word to say about the guy. And and I look at it and I see a guy who was champion level racer, went on to be a, a very successful track manager, taking over for his mom, the legendary George Disciple at uh, Sonoma Raceway, and then goes on to really rewrite the way we look at bracket racing. I, I really think that he and Peter Biondo, with their fling series of races, as much as big money bracket racing has always existed, they revolutionized what it actually is. Sure, sure, sure they did. And, and they used, uh, I think, the same formula – for success that that you know others have used where they'd been around long enough they'd seen and done enough they were able to objectively look at the things they liked the things they didn't like and say you know what 
if if we were to do this, what would we do to make it better? And they were able to put that plan in motion. And obviously, they have an enormously successful, enormously popular series that that you know hopefully that becomes Kyle's legacy and it lives on long after he's gone. And if I know Peter Biondo, you know that that is certainly his intention to to create something that that will be long lasting and uh, a proper tribute. I agree with you 100 percent, man, 100 percent. So uh, this weekend's going to be great. Uh, look forward to a lot of action here from our Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series as well as the uh, Camping World Drag Racing Series, and we got the Pro Mods there. We got Factory Stock Showdown, and you will be a busy guy uh, documenting so much of it for National Dragster. And appreciate you taking the time this afternoon to give us a little primer on what we can and should expect out of our bikes and our sportsman classes. I'm always happy to do it, Brian. Uh, it's a pleasure. Kevin McKenna, National Dragster Senior Editor, who is now going to climb out from underneath a bush or something at Lucas Oil Raceway and go back to his house. <laughs> See you this weekend, buddy. Take care. Another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast in the books, and we are getting ready to travel out to Norwalk, Ohio, starting in the middle of the week as we're going to begin this race on Thursday. I said that at the top of the show. With sportsman qualifying, Friday sportsman qualifying, first round of pro qualifying on Friday evening, two sessions Saturday, and then we go into the four-round elimination single ter- or single elimination tournament on Sunday to determine who will win Norwalk in 2021 for the first time since 2019 it's always great we're having this kind of reintroduction to these racetracks we did not get to see last year and norwalk was one of the premier facilities we didn't get to race at you can tune in on fs1 on saturday from 2 to 3 30 to catch qualifying 12 30 to 2 p.m on sunday kind of late well early afternoon let's call it 12 30 p.m to 2 p.m on fs1 final qualifying coverage that's a totally different show than the saturday show and then immediately following that qualifying show at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Broadcast Network, your local Fox affiliate. You're going to tune in from 2 to 5 for live elimination round coverage from Norwalk, Ohio. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks, as always, for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast, and we look forward to coming back next week with more headline makers, more newsmakers, and more big stories inside the world of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing. Thanks for listening.